Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, starting at verse 9. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of have, that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The second reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the lake, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the lake. He intended to pass them by. But when he saw them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, 
and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been quite a storm, hasn't it? been quite a storm, hasn't it? In truth, perhaps many of us may feel a bit like the disciples in our Bible reading, still in the middle of the lake, stuck in the midst of it, straining at the oars. To use a sailing term, we've been kind of hit by a series of rogue waves, tsunami-like in their devastation, and still the tempest seems to roar. We may feel more immune to its sting, but this storm to me doesn't show any sign of blowing out. In fact, just when we think it's starting to to blow out, it kind of mutates and bounces back to surprise us with its bite. It's why I keep questioning and keep thinking to myself, am I the only one that thinks talk of Freedom Day next week as a bit of a parody. You see, the disciples this morning also found themselves in the middle of the lake, in the midst of the storm, straining at the oars. And the question for them and the question for us this morning is this, is will we find our Freedom Day in Jesus? Or will we settle for an imitation of the real thing? You see, here's the scene that we see before us in this story. We know that what has happened is Jesus has just performed one of his greatest miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And we know it's now towards the end of the day. And he does three things. He dismisses the crowds of thousands. He then sends his disciples off by themselves in a boat to the other side of the lake, to Bethsaida. And he goes all by himself up a big hill to pray. That's the scene. That's the setting, if you like, for, for, for today's narrative, if you like. And then the tension starts to appear in the story. And the conflict starts to mount because we read by evening realistically that means after nightfall we read that Jesus is still praying and we read that the disciples who perhaps by now should be at the other side of the lake are in the middle of the lake and they're struggling and they're, they're straining against an adverse wind remember most of these disciples are experienced fishermen But even for them, this is a difficult scenario. 
And there's the conflict in the story that Jesus is up on a hill from a vantage point and can see the disciples struggling in the boat. And so what does he do next? Well, he performs another of his greatest miracles, doesn't he? As he walks towards them on the water. But then we hear these words. And he intended to pass them by. And he intended to pass them by. What does that mean? That he intended to pass them by. He's walking towards them on the water. And he can see that they're straining and they're struggling. And he intended to pass them by. He can see that they're struggling. He can see that they're harassed. He can see that they're stressed. And yet Jesus intended to pass them by. Doesn't Jesus care? What does it say for you and I when we're in those situations where we're in the middle of the lake, where we're struggling, straining at the oars? Maybe that's you this morning. Doesn't Jesus care? Isn't he bothered that I'm struggling, that I'm harassed? And this is where the tension in the story reaches its crucial point. Because if we understand what those words mean, and he intended to pass them by, we see the significance of what the writer is trying to get across through this story. If we don't, we kind of see in the words of St. Paul in one of his most famous letters, we might see and understand the story in part, but we'll see it through a glass dimly through a kind of hazy, blurred vision. And to understand what those words mean, and he intended to pass them by, we need to understand it in its Old Testament context. You see, for those first hearers, they would have understood those words, and he intended to pass them by, and the significance of them. But roll on to today, and perhaps our eyes become a bit blurry. Or our minds become a bit fuzzy at understanding what is going on as Jesus, as the writer says, and he intended to pass them by. See, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean like it might happen to you later today. Or at some stage this week and you're driving down Victoria Avenue in the outside lane and you pass by a car in the inside lane. Still keeping to 40 miles an hour, of course. That's what it doesn't mean. You see, to understand the significance and the intended to pass them by, we have to understand it in its Old Testament context. You see, there were a couple of occasions where that same word, the word parakomai, is the Greek word, appears also in the Greek version of the Old Testament. When When that word occurs, it occurs in significant encounters when the Lord passed by crucial Old Testament characters and they saw the glory of God. In other words, they saw God's grace and his love, his goodness and his mercy, his justice and his truth. One of those characters was Elijah, as we heard in our Old Testament reading. As he goes and sees The glory of God. As the Lord passes by, as he stood on Mount Horeb on Mount Sinai. The other character 
it, to him, it happened three centuries before that, roughly, on that same mountain. It was Moses. As the Lord passed by, and he saw the glory of the Lord. But here's the difference. For both Moses and Elijah, the best view that they got of the glory of God, if you like, was from the rear view mirror. Was, if you like, from the back of the car. Because the best view that they got was the back of God. Because to have looked at the face of God directly would have been so powerful it would have killed them. The difference for the disciples is this. They don't get to see any rear view mirror view. They don't get to see any back seat view. They get, if you like, the best seat in the house at the front of the deck of the boat. And they get to see the face of God in the face of his son. And the question for the disciples and the question for us this morning is will we see Jesus for who he is? Will we see Jesus for who he is? You see, for the disciples, what happens? Their fear just blinds them from seeing it. Because Jesus comes towards them and what do they do? They scream. They're absolutely terrified because they think they're seeing a ghost walking towards them rather than Jesus. And their fear just blinds them. It shackles them up. It doesn't free them. And Jesus says these words, five words in Greek that are translated as nine words in English. Take heart. In other words, be courageous. The Greek word is tharsion. It means kind of like, be of good cheer. Take heart. Be courageous. Come on. And then Jesus says these words, ego eimi. Which is actually the words that God used to introduce himself to Moses at the burning bush. It simply means I am. It is I. Another indication to show us who Jesus is. And then he says, fear not. Do not be afraid. And then Jesus, we read, gets into the boat. And the wind stops. And it would be great if it ended there, but the kind of ending is left in an unsatisfactory way because we read, and the disciples are just looking around at one another, all of them, shaking their heads, stunned, in disbelief, bewilderment, amazement, utterly astounded is the words that we read. And the reason that they were utterly astounded was because of their hard hearts. And you see, there are two questions that this story leaves us with. It leaves us with that question of who is Jesus? And for the disciples, they just 
don't see him for who he is. And the second question is, where might our hearts be hardened that they prevent us from seeing Jesus for who he is? You see, the disciples have this opportunity to recognize Jesus for for who he is, but they miss it. You know, and what we see in this story is that Jesus isn't someone who's just a successor to Moses, but one who's greater than Moses. You see, that Jesus isn't just some provider of food or some miracle maker, but that he's God himself. And that for them, they're not getting any rear view mirror, some view from the back of God but they're getting this front seat view of the face of God in the face of his son. And you know, when it comes to either choosing to follow Jesus or continuing to follow Jesus, those words at the end of the story are a real killer, aren't they? A hardened heart. You see, it blinds people, first of all, from recognizing Jesus for who he is, but a softened heart towards him changes everything. In the words of my favorite verse from the message transliteration of the psalm, Psalm 18, verse 24, God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes and it got me thinking because 36 years ago this Tuesday I remember that God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. It was freedom day and it changes everything. But I've also realized through my years over those 36 years that even for following Jesus, a hardened heart can still be a real killer. Sometimes it's because of fear. Sometimes it's because of unforgiveness. Sometimes it's because of rebellion and resentment. And maybe it could be for one of those reasons or more that we might find ourselves this morning still in the middle of the lake, stuck in the midst of a storm, straining at the oars. And Jesus just wants to say these words to you. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see, when it comes down to it, God loves us to tell him about our problems. But over those 36 years, I've realized one thing more, that God loves even more to talk to our problems about who Jesus is because that makes a real difference in our lives. Shall we pray together? Lord God of hosts, who came in human flesh to be with us.
As you passed by Moses, Elijah and the disciples in their storms. Spirit of Jesus, come and pass by us this morning to meet us in our storms. To reveal your glory, the goodness of your grace, and the kindness of your truth. Open our eyes to see you in our storms. Open our ears to hear you in our storms. Open our hearts to know you in our storms. That we would find our freedom in you. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.